Well, because I always, again, get laughed at by a Christian, I'm going to start and just with the word all right instead of hello or anything else. But yeah, welcome to uh, Beyond Sunday. Ha ha. Uh, yeah, ha ha. We're really thankful that you guys are all able to be with us. We're excited to talk today about specifically 1 Thessalonians 4 through 11, but our whole heart. I think five. Five, four through 11. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that clarification. No I pray for clarity and we already have it. The Spirit of God has shown up. Um, but we're, our heart is really to make sure that we always do come from the amazingness of God's word, to understand it, the ideals of it, the truths of it. But we definitely want to land these truths into the context of a local church, specifically for those of you listening, for Cornerstone Church. But even kind of taking that a little bit further, we just believe God has given us these amazing relationships in a local church to be able to work them out. So thankful to be able to do that. Thankful to be able to be with the guys that I'm with, both Spencer and Christian, and uh, just to be able to work from a place of years and years and years of the joy of God sovereignly putting us together and letting us walk through life in all the facets and forms uh, of it. So what we're going to do today is, uh, like I said, we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 4 through 11, and uh, obviously Christian preached on this particular text. But one of the things that I think is important, maybe as we draw it to a close for the three of us, maybe to have a quick discussion about is, okay, so, but let's let's put this in its context in this particular section, start back in, in chapter four. So maybe Christian, could I push it at you and I'm going to let you kind of start the ball rolling and let's just do maybe just a brief overview of of information to now starting back in chapter four so that we can kind of get a running start into, into verses four through 11 in chapter five. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I, again, th- this section where of this letter where Paul's dealing with events and what it means for us in relation to the return of Jesus, the day of the Lord, it starts in chapter 4, verse 13, and it comes to a conclusion in 5, verse 11. So it's that, that whole section that we're looking at. And again, the things that makes this section stands out is in a letter where Paul says so much about reminding you know this already. You have no need for me to write more to you about this. What stands out in 4.13 is he says, no, here's something you're uninformed about. I don't want you to stay uninformed. And it's about what to do with believers who've died before the return of Jesus. Again, first generation Christians, first dealing with, okay, we know Jesus died. We know he rose again. We know he's coming back. We just don't know the math on how this works for those who don't who who were brothers of ours who've who've now died, brothers and sisters of ours. And so that's what he starts with is I want you to understand that that those who've died, you grieve over them, but not without hope. You have this amazing hope that just as Jesus rose from the dead, that our brothers and sisters who die before the return of Jesus will share in a actual physical resurrection at the parousia of Jesus, at at this glorious kingly return of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, they, they'll be there first. They're the first ones down the red carpet, if you will, that, that get to be a part of this celebration. And then those who are alive and left, if that's us again, or if we, like so many of our brothers and sisters, die before that, then both those dead and the living will be joined together to be with the Lord forever, always with the Lord there, he says in 417. And he says, encourage each other with these words. But just like it does with us and for the Thessalonians and probably even for Paul, as soon as we start to think about these huge, lofty, glorious promises about the return of Jesus, we go, when's it going to be? And so then in 5.1, he says, okay, now let's talk about these times and seasons. And I do think like Bob pointed out, he's he's alluding to the words of Jesus that Luke later wrote down in Acts 1 to, it's not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. He's saying, remember, the main thing for us is not that we will know exactly when it will happen, 
But this day won't surprise us because we're looking for it. Our lives are shaped by the expectation of it. And so he starts out by saying those apart from Jesus, those that have rejected the gospel, there's no way for them not to be surprised by this. Their life is not shaped by the expectation of Jesus' return in glory. And so it will come upon them suddenly, and they will not escape the destruction that will come on this day of the Lord. And he's connecting this idea of the return of Jesus with the day of the Lord, that huge Old Testament concept about God going into battle against his enemies on behalf of his people, which Bob did such a great oh job my talking gosh, about last time. He did an incredible job on that. And he's saying, okay, there's no way for unbelievers not to be surprised, and there's no way for them to escape it. But then he comes in verse 4, and he says, but you're not in that darkness anymore. You're, you're not blinded anymore. You've been brought to new life. This day will not surprise you like a thief, not because you'll know when it happens, but because your life is shaped by the expectation of it. There's an interesting way in which this is already a reality in your life. He says there in verse 5. Okay, don't, you, don't, don't explain the text. I won't. Give us the big idea. 4 through 11, because I want to I save your ammo. Okay. Keep the powder dry. Thank you. Because it, there does seem to be a reality in this, because again, hope drives this, mm-hmm. right? Like hope in chapter one, mm-hmm. hope even regard to boldness in chapters two and three, hope in regards to then in chapter four, holiness, mm-hmm. hope in regard to love, hope in regard to, right? Every, just hope has driven this whole thing through. And so maybe to give us a little like teaser into what we're going to talk about, maybe how does hope connect into what happens in four through 11? The hope that Bob talked about last time is that this day of the Lord is a two-sided reality. There's two sides to the coin. And again, Bob got to explain the the tail side, I guess you could say. (laughs) Right? But there's this amazing head side of the coin, this amazing idea that that Paul talks about later on in verse 9, that God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus. That's the hope that we have, that the return of Jesus, the day of the Lord, is actually the time where the where we, we, we get the full, pay, full payment of the down payment we've already received of this salvation that's going to be given to us. And that, if we allow that hope to shape our perspective on the future, not only shapes the way we think about the future, it shapes the way that we live now. Yeah, and I think this is huge. Like that idea of it should shape our future, Yeah, no doubt. And I think it does shape our future. But man, allowing that hope to shape our present and how we live, like yeah. that's Well, it's crucial. hope, and it's hope that's not detached from things. It's like hope that's, and I know this will sound maybe obvious, but it's hope that's intended to be an encouragement. Like we are to encourage one another. And I know you mentioned that at the end of 418, mm-hmm. but it's also mentioned and restated at 411. Yeah. And going like, this is intended, like all of these truths are intended to be an encouragement. This hope is supposed to be a result of like, hey, in the midst of these uncertainties, in the midst of the questions about people who have died and the coming, you know, future of the king, hey man, this is there's an encouragement here. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of go back to our definition that we established, God is faithful. Mm-hmm. He has been faithful. He continues to be faithful and his good that he has for us is the true good that we can look forward to, right? There's an authentic hope, and it seems to be he's really working through that as he's presenting this. Okay, so they're good. We got the teaser. Mm-hmm. We got why this is so important. And so what we'll do now, like, I just want to take some time. Let's 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 maybe not only, you, you broke it apart great Sunday, but let's maybe take a little bit deeper of a dive into this and kind of look at, like, just that that amazing reality of what he's, as he, I love your concept, He's as he turned the coin mm-hmm. and he gave us the head side, mm-hmm. what, what does that mean for us as followers of Jesus? 
Okay, so we've we've kind of caught like an overview of this entire section. In fact, in an interesting way, we kind of gave an overview of First Thessalonians as a whole mm-hmm. in some ways, which yeah. is awesome. We've established just that that importance of how this hope drives us, how it's meant to be an encouragement, how it's meant to to be just that compelling force, and how not only we view our future, but how we currently even live out our lives. So let's let's now okay. I'm going to turn you loose now to fire off those bullets because mm-hmm. I want I want to get into this text because I think it is man. It is so crucial in how we view this this reality for those of us who are followers of Jesus. So. I'm going to now say, go, Christian. Take us in there, man. Unleash us into this into this particular aspect of the text, and let's let's kind of see what is this ideal that that Paul is talking about. Well, I think one of the things that's so fun to me about this text is that you almost get Paul the poet here. There's so much poetic, like picturesque language that he's using in here that, in some ways, if we um, it can take us a little bit while uh, to detangle it. But sometimes if you just step back and see the beauty of these big kind of metaphors that he's using in this passage, it's really cool. He he talked in the passage again that Bob looked at from verse 2, this idea of the day of the Lord coming like a thief in the night. And even that, there's a little bit of a, of a, a contradictory image. A day that comes in the night? Like, so there's a reality that some people will encounter this from a place of darkness or, or unawareness and others who will encounter this day of the Lord with light, with, with awareness of it. I think those are kind of the big two categories that he sets up. He speaks of the they who will be surprised by this. And then the you and the we who are already fully aware and already are in some ways a participant in what's going to happen on those days, you know? So he says, you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief in verse four. And I think even there, again, this is being Paul's earliest letter. He's going to continue to use this language of darkness and light, just like Jesus did, or, you know, in the the words recorded in in the gospel of John, to talk about the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. A believer is one who's now come to the light. Our our eyes have been enlightened. I love the way that Paul talks about it in Colossians 1, where he says that, that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness, from that kingdom ruled by Satan, where we lived in darkness, and we've been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Or even more picturesquely, the, the way that Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 4, where he, he, he likens it to what God does in Genesis 1. The same God who said, let light shine in the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This beautiful idea that we who now are in Christ, it's not that we think we're better than, superior to, but, but truly God has said, let there be light in our hearts, has given us eyes to see the beauty of, of who Jesus is. And this is. is now our new identity. Amen. Right. We, are, we, have, we have moved from one identity because of the work of Christ. Again, to your point, we're not better. Yeah. It was merely the movement of God of taking us from one identity, being in darkness, to now this miraculous work of God of speaking in from Second Corinthians 4. We, our new identity is we are people of the light. Amen. Yeah, which is, I think, key to where he's, he's going here, identifying who we are and who we aren't. And it's kind of fun because I was thinking about, uh, as, as I was studying through this passage, the way Paul uses the darkness and light, I... This isn't something I could get into my into in my message, but I started thinking about the Exodus story and especially that plague of darkness, how the the people of Pharaoh were cast into utter darkness. They couldn't see where they were going about, but where the, the Hebrews lived, there was light that simultaneously the same event, some were completely obscured to what was going on. Others had total light to see what was going on. And I think there's a very similar way that he's he's talking about it here. You won't be surprised by that day. Again, not that you'll know when it, that it's coming, but that 
or not that you know when it's coming, but because you know that it's coming, your life is now shaped by this different preparation. And he says in verse five, it's because you are children of light. You're children of the day. We're not of the the night or of the darkness anymore. I think that language of children of light, children of the day, like I talked about in my message, like it's the language of relationship, of, Mm. of participation, that because God is light and through Christ, we are now adopted as children of God, we live in the light of who God is because God, it's the day of the Lord and that Lord is our father. We are children of that day because of our association, our union with Jesus. Like we don't have anything to fear from that coming day of the Lord. Not that we mean that means we just kind of kick back and let it come as it may, but no, no, our, our lives are shaped by a different sort of preparation that he goes because on to say Because it's the that exact, exact opposite, right? Like yeah. in this text, he then gives implication that because like of my newfound identity as these ones in the in the day, as now these children uniquely of the day that are connected into that, our it's actually not meant to paralyze us, to just cause us to sit, but actually it is meant to compel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the cool thing where I think, again, what Paul's doing here is he's, again, alluding to the words of Jesus that later were recorded like in Matthew 24 of of this idea of the master of if he had known at what hour the thief would come, would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. And that's why he says there in verse six, so therefore let's not sleep, but let's keep awake. And he says, let's be sober. Verse seven, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. This idea that, okay, he's, he's speaking of two activities that people who engage in them normally engage in them in the evening at night when, it, when it's dark out. And again, that, that allude to the two parables that Jesus gives us in Matthew 24 of the master who would have stayed awake if he knew when the thief was coming. And then in the next one, the servant, the one put in charge of the master's household, where if he had known at what hour his master would have been coming, he would have stayed busy about the master's business. But if his master is delayed and he kicks back and he starts to beat the other servants and drink with drunkards, then the master is going to come in an hour that he doesn't expect. And there will be judgment on that servant at that point. So I do think again here that even those two activities that he says to stay away from of sleeping and drunkenness, he's speaking again of activities that typically happen at night when it's dark and two activities that render us unaware and unprepared for what's coming. And he says, that's not who we are. We belong to the day. So let's be sober. Let's, let's have an awareness, a readiness, a preparation for it. Yeah, it's, it's, there's less of a emphasis on trying to create a sequence and more of a urgency to live rightly. Yeah. Is that, I mean, does that seem, I don't want to oversimplify it. But. Yeah. Again, I, I think I, I remember coaching my boys when they were young playing baseball and especially in like those early T-ball years, there's so much like downtime in baseball sometimes that just keeping the kids clued in. Okay. There's another kid at bat. Everybody look face forward, look for the ball, you know, that kind of be stuff. ready. But then as you progress as a baseball player, you, you realize, yeah, I need to be ready every pitch. Not because I know that the guy's going to hit it or even where he's going to hit it, but a sense of preparedness, a sense of not sitting back on your heels, but even a readiness in your posture that allows you to react. You don't know what's going to come, but you're ready for it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it seems to me that's his play on sobriety, right? <laughs> it's, it's not like he, he's not necessarily trying to give us a lesson on, you know, drinking too much alcohol here. He's got yeah. a bigger issue of... Like that sobriety really does speak to a readiness, a, yeah. a, a, an ability and capacity to see what's going on and to be aware of what's going on. So so walk us into like the action, because I, I do think there's something so fascinating in verse 8 that, you, mm-hmm. you know, you obviously you brought out. 
But I'd love for you to take it even a little bit deeper as we look. Here's here's faith, love, and hope in that order again mm-hmm. that we saw way back in chapter 1, verse 3. Mm-hmm. How does Paul bring them back in here, and why are they so important to what, what he's doing in, the, in this particular context? So again, his point is readiness, wakefulness, soberness, living with a sense of anticipation, and just preparedness almost is, is the best part of it. Um and, and he likens it to a soldier arming themselves for battle. He, he uses language that, again, there's a whole bunch of stuff we could go into, into on like the biblical value of, of the, that language. But he says the soberness, the readiness, the preparation that we have in verse 8 is to put on this breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. In the same way that a soldier doesn't put his armor on once the arrows are flying, he puts it on beforehand so that he's ready for it. He's saying this is the way that we prepare ourselves for what is coming. But it's also interesting, there's no there's no sword, there's no bow, bow and arrow in this armor. This is defensive armor. This is much more about the way that we prepare ourselves, that we protect ourselves, that we protect one another. But it's so fun because like you said, the way he starts off the letter back in chapter one, verse three, is to talk about this work of faith, this labor of love that, that you did such a good job at the beginning back in January is showing us that that these are gifts from God that produce something in our lives, that it is a work produced by faith. It is a labor produced by love, a, an endurance produced by this hope in Jesus who's before God. And now he says, not only are those things like faith, hope, and love, these driving realities, motivating realities in our lives, they're also these protective, preparing realities in our lives. That the same way in which we seek to walk in a way that pleases God, he says in chapter four, and to uh, live appropriately before outsiders, we put God on display by living lives that are motivated by faith and hope and love. Also, the way in which we live with a sense of preparation and readiness for the return of Jesus, for the day of the Lord, is by these lives that are operated by faith and hope and love. And so it's not this whole other list of responsibilities. In some ways, he's saying this same learning day by day to walk in faithfulness to Jesus is how we are those those servants that Jesus talked about, who, when the master comes back, he finds them doing the master's business. Which, I, to be honest with you, I so badly wanted to unpack this one of my Because I think that's so fascinating. It's the same thing you do here. Yeah. Actually, is the same thing you do here, but with different kind of results to it, right? Mm-hmm. That is so fascinating, but it's almost like just, just do the same thing. Yeah. Just faith, hope, love. But yet in this one context, there's a different outcome in how it how it, it, it engages in how our preparedness is for the return of Jesus, which I think is so cool. Yeah. And how Paul laid that out. And I think it's so fun because he says again that this there's this helmet of the hope of salvation. Not just helmet of hope, but it's the hope of salvation. And then he goes right into that. He says, because here's why you don't need to be afraid of this day of the Lord, but you do want to be prepared for it. Because here's what that two side is of the coin. Here's what it's going to come like for you. Verse 9. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That day is the day where we we come into our inheritance, if you will, where we get to see the fullness of what God has already started in us. It's the, it's the promise of 1 John 3 that, beloved, we are God's children now, and who we are has not yet been revealed, but we know that when Jesus is revealed, we will be like him. And that hope purifies us. It has a purifying effect on our lives because that day is the day of salvation for us. Then he says in verse 10, he says, the one place in the letter where he describes what Jesus's death did for us, 
He says, Jesus died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Again, I think here he's using these ideas of wakefulness and sleepiness in the same way that he did back in chapter four of these metaphors for life and death. That mm-hmm. This sense that what Jesus has done for us is the salvation that he's promised, not even death can separate us from that. But the ultimate goal of salvation is not just the escaping God's wrath, but the being with him that he ends that verse with. And the way he leaves us in verse 11 is not only a repetition of what he said at the end of chapter four of encourage each other with these words, but he adds in this idea of build one another up. In the same way that you're to put on faith and hope and love, we are to drill each other, to practice this together, to help each other strengthen these realities in our lives. Not the reading of signs and reading the newspaper, trying to figure out what prophetic sign is being interpreted what day, but the focus on faith and hope and love. That's how we build one another up with a sense of preparation for the day of the Lord. Yeah, that that really does change your perspective on why we're trying to understand these maybe prophetic realities, right? Yeah. Is that if it is to try to create charts and graphs in an awkward kind of biblical uh, astrology, hmm. right? There's such a there's such a danger actually to that versus like seeing the signs as the means of building one another up, as the means of exhortation, as the means of 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 actually promoting readiness. Yeah. Right. Versus like looking for this thing that really isn't readying you, but being those ones that are busy about the master's work when he returns. Yeah. And I think, man, that that changes our understanding of why we're trying to gain a greater grasp maybe on last things and, and how we how we live our lives. Yeah, man. It's not I mean there there is a sense of mundanity or I don't know how you say that word, but of just what do you do? Well you, you you stay on target day by day. You seek to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, bring like walk with the spirit and bringing that fruit to bear in the way that you live in your relationships with others. Yeah. But what's like the really sexy, big audacious thing that we go after as we prepare for the day of Jesus. It's walking day by day in the character of Jesus, motivated by faith and hope and love and encouraging each other and building each other up in that. This is the big adventurous thing that we need to do. And we just have to wrap our minds around this. The adventure is the long haul. It is this steadfastness that hope produces in us, this sense of keep going. I love, you know, Chris Hayes' last message before he retired was this idea of that discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction from, from I think it was, I forget who said that. Was it Dallas that. Willard, I think, or something like that? One or of those guys. Eugene Peterson, that's who it was. Eugene Peterson. Smarter people. Yeah, the idea of faithfulness, just the... Just being faithful, yeah. being good stewards of what God's entrusted to us. Yeah, like you said, stay on target. Yeah, man. But it really does, it like that perspective, and that's why I'm so thankful you unpacked that, Christian, is that on one end, I feel like many concepts of how we study last things actually bring an awkward sense of paralysis, mm. right? Versus like, because it is fun and it's it's exciting to hear some guy put out <laughs> charts and graphs and, you know, and go for all sure. over the place for us. But in the end of the, of the day, if it doesn't actually motivate us towards that faith, that love, that hope, the readiness in the return of Jesus, then it's all just an awkward well, lesson in, hmm. in, in trying to put together pieces that maybe Scripture doesn't ask us to do. This might be uh, better reserved for the next segment, but you just said that you know if we, if we reduce it down to charts and graphs that it creates paralysis— I would even go so far as to say it might even produce something worse than paralysis, which is actually a stoking and, and nurturing of fear in people because mm-hmm. they're trying to sequence things. And, and all of a sudden, it's not just paralysis, but it induces fear, which is the exact opposite of what Paul's doing here. Or pride 
or I mean, yeah, there's, all, right, kinds of, there's yeah, all kinds of things where I've got it cart, figured out yeah. and you don't. It, it, and it's there is this side of it where I just I've loved the way you're 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 helping us see what Paul was saying here because now it it just seems to like there's a resonating of oh yeah that's what God's people have always done just yeah. stay in the pocket do what God's called you to do be the people God's called you to be right it's this don't and when King Jesus returns. Just be doing, stay in the pocket, you know, or, or Star Wars, stay on target, stay yeah, on target, we've got, right? We've got Star Wars and Lord of the Rings references in like five or six consecutive episodes now. We're kind of nerdy like that, I think. That's, yeah. that's what I just we don't know learned. if anybody picks up on that. <laughs> Those are the safe ones to choose from. <laughs> you choose other movies, people are like, oh, you watch that? No, I've heard. <laughs> okay, so that's that. Thank you so much, Christian, man. That, that gives us a great context. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you, Spencer. I want to unpack some of these mm-hmm. things because it's not that I don't want, I want us thinking through these things. I want us reading God's word and and understanding the day of the Lord and understanding last things. I just want it to matter in the right way. Yeah. Right. I, I want it to be something that at the end of the day, and especially when we do stand before Jesus in the day of the Lord, we were rightly thinking through his return and not not wrongly thinking through his return. So that's what I want to do next. I want to unpack with you guys maybe some practical ways in which we can kind of really land this and think through, especially as we, as we draw this section to a close within First Thessalonians. Okay, so, Spencer, one of the things you brought up, and I so appreciated you, you took it past my, my such a minimalistic understanding of this. Mm, it was so good. Yeah. It, was, it had depth to it, which I appreciate about you. No, but on a serious level, there are dangers to yeah. this. And we can't miss the reality that there are dangers to viewing this wrongly. But mm-hmm. I also don't want to miss to view this rightly because Paul, you know, was saying there were there were dangers there, but he was really laying out the rightly uh, reality of what he's talking about. So maybe just kind of launch us off a little bit. Maybe give us some ways that popped into your mind that when I said what I said, you said, hey, wait, there's there's, there's that it's that, but there's more here. Help, yeah. help us kind of wrestle through that a little bit. Could you? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, you had said that when we when we miss what Paul's doing and we make this about charts and graphs and sequencing of events and end times, and we lose sight of that idea that Paul's writing this to be an encouragement of the return of the king. And when we, we forget that, you said it, le- it can lead to paralysis, mm-hmm. which is 100% true. And then I responded and said, well, but it can also lead to fear and it can stoke fear in that, which I also believe because if people start fixating and ruminating on, on what could be and what's going to come next, that, that can, that can overwhelm people with, with fear. And it's the opposite of what Paul's trying to do with instilling hope. And there's another, there's another thing this is just more personal. The struggle I've had for years was when we engage in theological conversation devoid of practice, Mm. it just becomes a very self-gratifying, I feel like I'm doing something spiritual because I'm engaging in spiritual conversations about hypothesizing about the order of events of end times. And I'll use a passage like 1 Thessalonians to, to justify some of my position, but I've lost the script of what Paul's saying of going, but encourage one another and still hope in others. And what I've turned it into is an, is an academic exercise of just feeling like I've done something spiritual, mm-hmm. losing the sight of the fact that what God's called me to is encouraging those people around me who might be discouraged in a time of like uncertainty and processing through. And so I'm not instilling hope. I'm not encouraging their faith or their love. 
I'm actually just self-gratifying myself and maybe a few others who want to feel like we're doing something spiritual. And it really does, it causes the one that I'm starting to walk with to not have hope, but fear. Yeah. And it causes me to have pride, not hope, right? Yes. Like, I think anytime you kind of have this, yeah. this certain information that you feel others don't, that stirs confusion, fear, you know, whatever yeah. it might stir within them, but it that it allows me to come from a position of being in the know in a weird way. It, it causes, I think, just, you know, multiple kind of colors of pride that begin to come to the surface yeah yeah man it was really yeah and that's i've just been a part of way too many conversations where we've we've reduced passages like this to charts and graphs and sequence of events and we really do a horrible job of actually reading the text and understanding the text the way the author intended it to be of going he wrote this to be an encouragement to others mm -hmm. in response to to the uncertainty of death yeah, you know, going. Oh, he wasn't trying to create charts and graphs and sequences, and you know, and I just, I go, man, I, it doesn't. It, it fosters pride. It doesn't in, in, produce hope. But not only does it not produce hope, it's not born of the love that Paul's actually acknowledging that exists in the church in Thessalonica. And I'm like, well, whoa, whoa, I've really missed the script here on all kinds of ways. I don't know if that makes sense to you or no. It totally does. I think the the anchors of both four eighteen and then five eleven that the purpose of everything that Paul writes to us is to encourage and to build up. I mean, again, it is he's he's giving us the the proper application of what he's taught here, and I, I agree with you. I think that that what I've encountered is either there's a weird sort of competitiveness that creeps into my heart of do I understand this better than this person does. Or even a weird kind of campiness of, I want to, are you in my camp? Here's my camp. Who else is in my camp? Yeah. And more who sees it the same way. It's it's much more like like we philosophize about it. Mm -hmm. Here's my philosophical outlook on these things and who fits and who's is stronger or weaker in different places. And there's a place for investigating the text and trying to make, and interpreting scripture with scripture. But I do think that, again, that's way down the list of Paul's prescriptive of, here's what I want you to do with this information. Yeah encourage each other, build each other up. If you move those things way down on the priority list, we are fundamentally misusing this text. Yeah. So I think that's where we can come <laughs> off. If you're walking that ridge line, you can go off the rails on one side on, if you make it charts and graphs, and I would say that's the risk side. But then I also, I go, man, I, I think there's good like opportunities here for us too. You know yeah. what I mean? And going, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense or yeah, not. Yeah, well, I mean, to kind of draw, because I do want to, I want to kind of hinge over into yeah. the, the the way in which Paul's really using this in a cool way. But I think maybe just to draw to the surface a couple of things that I feel like we've been talking about. One is just this reality of its, of its intent, right? Yeah. Why did Paul write this to us as the means of truly staying on target? Kind of mm -hmm. what you said earlier as we in our cool reference to Star Wars. <laughs> um, but I think there's another part. You guys, I don't know if you've been kind of caught what we were doing we were almost having a hermeneutics a how to study the bible lesson right where yeah. where we have to keep the text in its context to make yeah. sure that when the what we mm -hmm. use because i think like that's even the danger of revelation revelation was meant to give people hope yeah but yet in a weird way it does the opposite many times as we kind of try to parse it and pull it apart in such a way that it loses the author's intent of why it gave you here so i thought I mean, just if you're listening right now, I think this is like it's a Bible study method 101 <laughs> to make sure that you right. don't remove a text from its context, but that in these cases, like Paul and the writers give us the clue of what the intent is they write of what I'm writing is supposed to accomplish, yeah. right? Yeah. They're, they don't leave us hanging on oftentimes what they're trying to do. Yeah. It's that to instill hope and encourage right living. Yes. 
I mean, I think you were talking about that either the last segment or at the kind of the break there. Yeah. But go on. How do you see us encouraging right living in yeah, light of that, this? Let's turn I, that corner. Because I think there's a cool opportunity here to go. It's, it is encouraging hope. Yeah. But it's going, okay, but, but there is also going, man, how do we live rightly? Yeah. And I, I think that's the, the point. We, well, you talked about on the front end of this whole series about how positive this book is. There's not a lot of corrective. There's places where Paul needs to fill out their knowledge on things they don't understand or they, they don't know enough about. But I love the way he concludes everything in verse 11. He says, encourage one another, build one another, another up, just as you are doing. And that, again, that resonates with what we saw a couple times in chapter four of, hey, we, we, you know how we told you how to walk, like, to walk and to please the Lord, just as you're doing, do it more and more. You don't need anybody to talk to you about brotherly love. You're already doing that, but do it more and more. Like, I think there is a, there are, especially to writing to a group of believers who, you know, we found out in chapter three that they're suffering. There's, there's affliction. It's coming at them from opponents of the gospel and things like that. And sometimes in the midst of pain, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of situations where perseverance, endurance is needed, steadfastness is needed, the temptation to pull the ejector switch, the temptation to go, no, actually, there's fundamentally something wrong about this situation, and the solution is to get out of the situation. I need to move out of the area. I need to change jobs. I need to change schools, change churches, whatever, like all the things that we've seen so many of us do over the last couple of years. Basically, what Paul's saying to this group of people, there's not really anything you need to do differently. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep staying on target with this work of faith, this labor of love, this steadfastness of hope. Embrace Stay the struggle. It. Yeah. Because he didn't say, yeah, he didn't say it was not hard. He affirmed the difficulty. He affirmed the affliction they were in. Yeah. But he going, yeah, but faith, love, hope in the midst of the struggle mm-hmm. and just, yeah, keep on keeping on. And I think the the reality of sometimes the the solution to the problem is endurance. The oftentimes the solution to the struggle is stay in it, yeah, and help, and not just on your own. Like this is not an individual sport. This yeah. is the way we encourage one another. Stay Gosh, in it. Yeah, and I think shock to you guys. My mind gravitates to First Corinthians ten, right? Oh. <clears throat> but I mean, it just really was where in, you know in ten thirteen. No, no trial, no temptation even has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will provide you. Uh, uh, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with, with temptation, he'll also provide a way of escape. We stop yeah, there. Yeah. Right. Okay. Ejector button. But the escape is that you may be able to endure it. Endure it. Stand up on it. Right. Like yeah. there's such a cool way in which the, the issue is not the eject button for God. Yeah. For God, actually, there's there's a purpose and reason going through this that he he has within his heart as a good dad yeah. to, to, in that hope, to go back to chapter 1, verse 3, produce endurance, yeah. to produce steadfastness, right? There's such a cool way that when you when you shift perspective, like you're like you're mentioning, Christian, I think it reframes so many ways in which we view how we live in light of the return of Jesus. Okay, so I've got to ask you guys then, because you take this high-level concept. Bring it down. Bring it down to Cornerstone Church in Simi Valley right now, 2022. You guys just dropped a couple of bombs there. <laughs> how does that play out here right now? Of going, how do you, How do you see the idea of needing to endure and that idea of, like, in in light of faith, hope, and love, not on our own, but collectively, like, land it here. 
I've got an immediate one. And Go since you've it. thought through this text more than any of us, I'll let you kind of have the, the full steam on it. But um, one thought that I have is that if the goal of Paul in writing this is that we would build one another up, it tells us what we're going to build one another up to do. And therefore, yeah. I have to have relationships that don't allow me to hit the eject kind of button on this. Mm-hmm. I need relationships in my life that help me walk through it, that bear the burden with me, that 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 instead of like trying to find it out, they're the ones that go... Okay. No way. Okay, so man, I am going to actually walk through this. And I think like that's the thing I valued about you guys and your relationships is that your first tendency is not to go, oh, dude, hit the eject button. Mm. Instead, you guys are the ones that are going, okay, let's look at what's going on here. And let's ask the bigger question, Todd, what's going on? If your goal is to display God in this, if this is why he's created you, therefore ejecting the eject button is not the thing that we're looking for here we're looking for the way in which we can best display who god is in yes. this particular situation right so on a very practical level i'm thinking and it, and it just hit me when i'm sitting there i am so thankful i have friends in my life mm. that are actually doing this job of building me up as the means of moving to- towards hope which then moves me towards endurance through this particular thing. So I think that's like the immediate thing. I think the friends you choose Mm. and the way that they walk you through this is crucial. I think that's the build-up concept where it's like Paul would be saying to them, so therefore build each other up into endurance, which obviously hopes crucial in this. That's your job as good quality followers of Jesus. I think that's what my heart would be within Cornerstone is is that I don't know if that's hitting the ground enough, but that would be for yeah. Me. No, I think that that's that's certainly like good first cut there, Christian. What about how about you? How oh, do you great. see? It? I failed. No, no, no. I it's think it's a good first cut. cut. You, no, you struck out, but no, 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 go no, ahead, no. Christian. Got good contact at least. Foul wall. You know, I got a bunch of thoughts flo- floating around in my head on this. Awesome, refined, unrefined thoughts. Are there you dangerous, go. but always fun. Those are your favorite kind, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I mean, on the one hand, I would agree with you that the company we keep becomes a huge part of this and, and, and being aware of our motivations in that is that like in that kind of fight or flight response to situations, do my friends, do the people, the, the, the one another's in my life, do they encourage me to find greeter pastures on the other side of the fence? Do they encourage me to fight for my right to party and do what I want or you know, little BC, BC boys. boys, 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 boys. <laughs> we deviated from the normal right? reference. Or do we? Or do I have friends that say, "Hey, in that Galatians six idea, don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap the harvest if we don't lose heart." Hey, you know what? Jesus showed us that the pathway to the glory that He has for us is through suffering. He He's paved a way as our pioneer. That's Hebrews two. Yeah. idea. He made a way through suffering to this glory. And when we try to avoid suffering, even if it's just the inconvenience suffering, even if it's just the, I can't microwave this thing and get it in two minutes, but I have to endure in the long term through a situation. Do we have friends who help us to say, this is the way of Jesus to so stay in it. Let's stay in it together. Um, I think that that's a that's a really huge part of it. And I think that's been I think I mean even speaking personally over the last couple of years that's sometimes been the hardship is when there are louder voices I would even dare say sexier voices who say no come with me let's go fight the man on this issue or that issue or, or no, let's eject. Like oh yeah or come with me I found the promised land in this other area of the country or something like that it's like oh when 
when you seek to be this type of friend in people's lives and they say, no, thanks. I found someone who's, who gives me what I want somewhere else. That's just, that's just a hard place to be, you know? And I think, again, I think that's a place where, where and I think like on well. a personal level, I think it is easier sometimes for me to tell myself to walk through suffering than for me to look at someone I love mm, and mm. say, you need to walk through the suffering. Yeah. Now to say, I will walk with you. I like, I don't know that that for me sometimes is harder. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to go do it, but am I willing to look at someone I deeply care about and say, stay on target, mm -hmm. stay in there. I'm with you. You know, I, I just, my wife, my yeah. kids, my yeah. dear but, friends, like, I think that's like, there's these two places, like in this passage and something that Paul said earlier in this letter, like in verse nine, where he says that God has not destined us for wrath, for his wrath, his judgment, but to obtain salvation. But earlier on, I think it was chapter two or three, he talked about we're destined for affliction. We are destined to, for hardship mm -hmm. in the midst of this mm -hmm. life. And I think that holding those two realities together and say, yeah, we can endure hardship. We can endure non-ideal circumstances, knowing that even that is part of God's shaping what he's using to transform us, while also knowing this, this bedrock hope that we do not stand under the wrath of God, Jesus who stood there in our place. We are destined for salvation. We can endure because the, the future is sure, you know? Yeah. No, I think, yeah, one six where he's talking about the affliction that they're suffering. Yeah. Um, but then I've also kind of go back to the beginning of chapter four, uh, Paul sh addressing the uncertainty that they have and going, the thing that I, I think that would would do us well as we're, we're engaged relationally with others is we don't just tell them, hey, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like Paul does affirm the difficulty. Yeah. He affirms the uncertainty. He affirms the fact that they're in affliction. Yeah. But then he, he, to your point, Todd, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to join you in it. You're not alone. I mean, the relational side matters, but he's also, it's not the eject button. And so that's where I go. And coming back full circle, I go, if we reduce this down to charts and graphs and sequencing, man, paralysis, fear, arrogance. Mm -hmm. um, if we see this as an opportunity to put Jesus on display and live rightly, then all of a sudden, man, um, we're, we're having a look at the return of the King and we can encourage and build one another up that causes us to live differently in light of the affliction in light of the suffering in light of the uncertainty. I just think that stuff matters yeah. immensely, but it changes my tone and tenor all the I time. I think in the midst of the heartache and difficulty, there's, there's two realities is like, I was thinking through this as you guys were talking. One is, is that you do have to stay focused on God's faithfulness, right? Mm -hmm. As you're walking with people in the midst of that mess and difficulty, that the faithfulness of God becomes so crucial, his good in this, right? Those types of things. But I think then it's that other part of it where you just see all throughout scripture that the, the not being alone, mm -hmm. that the way that God's spirit works through this is not now, okay, Spencer, good luck, be warm, be well, be fed. I hope it turns out great for you, but that it is, his spirit has intended for us to be together in this, right? So therefore, I can rejoice with those who rejoice. I mourn with those who mourn. I'm, I'm in the process with them yeah. so that they're not alone. But God's spirit is present in our togetherness, right? Which is, I think, then Jesus is put on display. I think Jesus is not put on display when we go through these things alone. Mm -hmm. I think we are intended 
collectively to put these these things on display because we are the body of Christ. That's right. And so it really is like for me as you guys were talking, it's like wow, okay. There's a heaviness to mm-hmm. it because even like you know because I instantly things flash into my head of like gosh stuff you guys have gone mm-hmm. through that it's like gosh no you you stay in that like I'm yeah. and I'll be there with you yeah yeah but then like you know there's that thing like. Uh, in Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, Jesus, despising yeah. shame, right? Because why? Well, it's that even as you're, as the friend to be that perspective that has more of a global, can see maybe more of a global part mm-hmm. and can show the other side of that, that suffering, right? I, oh, yeah. In the midst of it, let me be also the voice of the good of God on the other side of this. And so it's, it's highly practical as you're walking mm-hmm. through with some of the difficulties and the need of what it is to bring hope into that situation but it's it, i think it's also the joy of it as well uh, can i throw a thought at you maybe as we close this please I, I do think that you know that what he calls us to in verse 11 there to encourage and build one another up like you said this can't do that by yourself this this necessitates these these close relationships this, these disciples who are engaged in being and making disciples that we've been talking about so much but again one of the things we've often talked about is whether it's the way we preach on sundays like that's just it, it's kind of a one-size-fits-all setting. You're one communicator speaking to a large group of people. Even in a setting like this in our podcast, it's a little bit more rounded just with three different perspectives and voices and experiences coming into it. But this encouraging and building one another, there's so much commonality to it, but there's so much like particularity to it based upon where we might be at in certain seasons of life. And I do think that a lot of this is what he loads the gun for, what he comes to in verse 14, which I know is where you're going yeah, don't next don't steal time. my stuff, man. But do you want to maybe give us some teasers? <laughs> I know your, your wife loves it when we say, we'll talk more about this next week. I actually want to discourage my wife right now and say, <laughs> no, that's, you have to wait for next week. Yeah, I, I just think it's so amazing how Paul always grabs a thought from where he's been. Right, He's, he's intentional where he's going. The Spirit of God is leading him along, and he's planting these seeds along the way that he intends then to kind of them to grow into something, right? And so as he finishes this idea of building one another up, all of these commands that come after yeah. in 12, verses 12 and following in chapter 5 are that seed that gets planted, right? And this is the this is now the, the tree that comes to yeah. bear to show us, oh, this is what you mean by build one another up or you, you mean by encourage one another, right? And so yeah. it's, I think that's what's so fun about it, you know. So he breaks it into our relationships that we have in that first section. Then he don't don't sell the farm. Teasers. By the way, Spencer's the one who stopped me. So therefore, Lisa, don't be angry at me. It's Spencer's fault. But in this, I just I really love. Again, here's it. You go back to what you guys were doing with hermeneutics, our, our Bible study methods. Is that Paul tells us right? He the writer is telling us what he means. Yeah, and I think it's this is the this is the joy of studying God's word is to understand what he's saying, and it's like oh man, Paul, thank you for un- helping kind of elucidate right to bring out yeah more of what you meant by that. So yeah, that's that's awesome. So anyway, we'll we'll draw to a close. Um, thank you all just for listening. Thank you guys. Like mm-hmm. seriously, it's like the joy of my week is oftentimes sermon prep. But even I've just started to find so much joy in sitting down with these three guys and, and talking through scripture together. And yeah, they're giving funny faces right there's now. There's three of us. Well, but, and there's one lady. Yeah. There's Robin here, but she never, she always makes, she always kind of acts like she feels funny when I say her name. But Robin's here as well. She's the one who keeps us on the straight and narrow. So God bless you all. Uh, don't forget in what we're trying to accomplish here in Beyond Sunday is to make sure that we take the amazing truths of God's word 
and we land them into real relationships inside of a real local church called Cornerstone. So God bless you all. Take care. We love you. Bye.